Chapter 6, Jinty Scores Again Guess what, Tibbles old chap? Jinty dumped himself comfortably down on the top step of the dungeon for his daily update with his dragon chum. Do tell, crunched the beast through his morning supply of cornflakes. The minder of the moat tells me that the ice in the moat around the castle... What's a moat? You know. The channel of water that runs around the castle walls. You must have noticed it when you arrived. We rode over a bridge, remember? Well, that was over the moat. To get back to my news. It seems the ice on the moat is beginning to melt. Now, once a week, all Woolians are permitted to skate around the moat just for fun and exercise. They love it. It's a real treat. And Princess Delicia, too. She's very fond of a good skate. She's become quite an expert. But yesterday, it seems several skaters suddenly came across melted ice and plunged into deep water. No, don't laugh, Tibbles. There could have been a serious accident. The dragon gulped down the last of his breakfast and looked a little downcast at this rebuke. He had fallen under the spell of the lovely young princess and would not wish any harm to come to that young lady for sure. Oh, sorry, Jinty. Is everything all right now? And why are you telling me this? Surely you understand what's happening. You've been heating the inside walls of the castle so well that the warmth has now reached the outside, and so the ice in the moat is melting. Well, do you want me to stop huffing and puffing then? I really don't want Princess Delicia to be cold and miserable again, do you? No, of course not. But we've got to think of a solution. Jinty buried his head in his hands, thinking hard and fast. The dragon gazed up at him, rather anxious now. He lumbered over to the corner of the dungeon where there was a great vat. Every morning some kitchen lads brought him a fresh supply of drinking water and he was feeling thirsty. He dipped his long, heavy nose into the water, but jerked back with a snort. My word, that's cold this morning. Enough to choke a fella. Oh, don't be such a baby, Tibbs. Just huff on it for a bit and drink. Jinty was a bit rattled. He remembered the days when he had been accused, wrongly, of making trouble for the princess when people had sneered and rebuked him. He had no wish in this present difficulty to suffer more of the same treatment, considering it was his brilliant idea to bring dragon-powered central heating to the palace. Still preoccupied, he listened to the dragons huffing and slurping for a few moments. Then suddenly he had another of his brilliant ideas. Time for one of our pauses here, I think, while I fill in some useful background information. All the housewives and laundresses of Woolian were forever complaining about the chore of having to melt ice. I mean, for washing dishes and clothes and people. Well, think what a nuisance it must have been for them. Now, Jinty had just watched his dragon friend heat up his drinking water with a couple of quick huffs. So... 
He wondered, what if the people of Woolian could be persuaded to go further away from the castle moat for their skating fun, to where the land was not being heated by a friendly and useful dragon, and suppose they then could be allowed to use the warmed-up water in the moat for all their washing? Great idea, yes? He gabbled out his thoughts to the listening dragon. I'm going to seek an audience with the king at once to talk this through. And he jumped up excitedly from the dungeon step. I really think I can persuade him that this idea is worth a try. Why, agree, answered Tibbles. What are you waiting for? <laughs> Water, what are? Joke, get it? But Jinty had already disappeared up the stairs to the main palace above. These days, Jinty, or Sir Jinty, to give him his proper title, was far less scared of the king than he used to be. When a servant admitted him into the throne room, he was delighted to find both Prince Horace and his wife sitting with the king. Using all his powers of persuasion, Jinty made the case for a warm water moat. Hardly had he finished speaking when Princess Delicia leapt to her feet. Oh, wonderful! Your Majesty, we could all go swimming again, just as I used to do at home in flimsy garments. I should so love that, and I could teach you to swim, I'm sure. Oh, please, do say yes. We could build a section specially as a swimming pool, my royal father, suggested Prince Horace, eager to please his lovely young wife. King Humphrey was hardly listening, as usual, having his nose in his crossword puzzle book. But suddenly his head jerked up. Two down, two words, eight letters and four. Card game for fishes? Why, swimming pool, of course. Excellent. Yes, certainly. Get on with it at once. Off you go. The three looked at each other, eyes brightening, and made a quick exit. Out in the corridor, it was no time at all before they had mapped out a wonderful plan and a publicity campaign. Frankly, the prince, who was a bit bored sometimes, was delighted to have something to get his teeth into, as he put it. The ideas just snowballed. Uh, oh, sorry, <laughs> perhaps that wasn't the best word to use. In a matter of weeks, a new area inland had been designated where it was still bitterly cold and icy. Here there was a magnificent, huge, frozen lake. Glorious mountains swooped down to its edges. This was to be the Woolian de Ware Winter Wonderland, the Skater's Paradise. It wasn't long before Princess Delicia insisted on visiting the Winter Wonderland, as she had already become a very competent skater. She was particularly delighted, too, with the landscape, glittering in the wintry sunshine, the whole place filling her with zest and a new sense of freedom. More and more she was coming to love her adopted country. The grumpy girl buried under stuffy duvets was no longer to be seen. After her first visit to the Winter Wonderland, she was eager to tell King Humphrey all about the new recreation area. And would you believe it, for once the king took his nose out of his crossword puzzle book and really listened. 
You know, I seem to remember my grandfather's grandfather writing down some instructions on how to make board-like things for slipping over the snow. Now, what were they called? Ah, uh, yes, skis, that's it, the king mused, a smile lighting up his royal features. One or two of the older courtiers began to reminisce as well. Why had they ever forgotten all about skis, they wondered. And wasn't there something called toboggans? Oh, no, 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 toboggans, that was it. Old pictures and instruction books and manuals were hunted out and new crazes began every week. It was all the very best fun you could think of. Chapter 7 Things Go Pop Let me explain this widespread lapse of memory. When the land of Woolly and the Ware had become intensely cold, its people tried to make the best of adapting to a new way of life, but honestly, they did lose some of their nerve. They took the line of least resistance and gave up travelling far afield at all. Gradually old skills and old equipment fell into disuse. The civilians of Woolian resigned themselves to lives which were, let's face it, unadventurous to say the least. What was that? Who said that? Own up. Not so much civilians as sillibillions. Oh, a clever remark, I grant you, but not very kind, was it? Now, where was I? Oh, yes. King Humphrey suddenly sprang into life. He ordered the royal carpenters to make new skis to fit the prince, the princess, and most surprisingly, himself. And as if that weren't enough, he decided to make a royal progress to the winter wonderland, and to do it riding on Tibbles, the court dragon... It was such a treat for our Tibbs, really to stretch his legs once more, and he enjoyed the soft feeling on his scaly back of the velvet saddle which was specially made for the king to use. The purpose of the RP was mainly to show the area to the king, but when he arrived there he gazed regally around and said at once, Where are the ski runs? No one quite understood what he meant. They felt a little nervous that His Majesty seemed somewhat put out. But no. Ah, well, you know what they always say. If you want a job doing, best do it yourself, chuckled the king. And he set about deciding for himself which of the slopes of the surrounding mountains was best suited to the purpose. How he knew how to do this, I can't explain. He just did. His Majesty chose a gentle slope first, not very long and not very steep. I declare this slope to be called the Easy Peasy. The royal clerk noted that down and scurried after the king, who was pacing rapidly away, looking from right to left, and umming and aahing a good deal. Having puffed uphill quite a way, with the royal clerk stumbling along behind, the king stopped at the top of a much steeper incline, which swooped down to the edge of the frozen lake. This shall be called 
the crash-bang wallop, he announced. Oh, if you please, your majesty, squeaked the royal clerk, how do you spell wallop? But the king had already strode ahead and didn't hear him. Much royal wandering about and toing and froing later, the king stopped once again. By now he was really high up above the lake, and the slope down to it looked quite alarmingly severe. Aha! Now this shall be for the best of the best, and I name it the We Have Liftoff. Hmm. I intend to start practising forthwith, and I am prepared to bet I shall be skimming down the We Have Liftoff before many weeks have passed. Swaying back to the castle on Tibble's back, King Humphrey was actually humming a happy little song to himself. And he was as good as his word. Not only did the king learn to swim in the royal moat with Delicia's help, but he also mastered his new skis in double-quick time and made regular trips out to the winter wonderland. Now, promise you'll keep the secret. Don't mention the fact that he had a bit of difficulty even to get beyond the easy-peasy slope. Everyone pretended not to notice, so don't say a word, will you? After all, he really was trying his royal and slightly elderly best, and that's all anyone can do, isn't it? Back at the castle, Tibbles huffed and puffed on as usual, and more and more of the moat water melted. The woollians soon warmed sorry, to the new schemes, and had a few to, of their own to add. For instance, the harbour-master and the minder of the moat got together and devised plans for boating. Soon the boat-builders were creating splendid canoes and rowing-skiffs, thoroughly enjoying rediscovering skills they hadn't needed for generations. Wise old women were consulted about laundry requirements and a section of the moat was fashioned according to their suggestions. Princess Delicia herself designed the swimming pool area and advised seamstresses on how to make swimming costumes because the Woolians had not needed such garments for years and years. Well, centuries, actually. A special opening ceremony was planned. The king was to cut a tape across the now warm water. The town band was to play, so Ginty had to warn Tibbles of this, remembering how alarmed the dragon had been when first he came to the castle. Oh, I'm getting used to it, thanks. The lads in the stables and the maids in the kitchen are always hollering out some song or other. I'm quite used to loud noises now, the dragon reassured him. Now, don't you think that is quaint? I mean, what noise is louder than a dragon's roar, with which Tibbles must have been very, very familiar? Came the day of pomp, when all the building and alterations had been completed. Tibbles had huffed away all the ice in the moat, and Ginty led him outside the castle to join the excited crowd which was gathering on the banks. My good people, said the king, I give you the freedom of the royal moat, and I hope you don't get into hot water. <laughs> All the listening citizens of Woolian laughed politely at the king's joke. Princess Delicia stepped forward. 
I should like to speak. Silence fell at once. Let us all express our most sincere thanks to this splendid creature here. And she waved towards Tibbles, who turned bright pink with pleasure. By his efforts, we are going to be able to enjoy many excellent amenities. So give him three cheers. Hip, hip, hip. Hooray, yelled the people, and they clapped and cheered like mad. After all, they had now got not only the Woollian Winter Wonderland, but also the marvellous Moat Marina as well. Not bad, eh? Then the Royal Medical Officer of Health stepped forward and asked for permission to speak. Your Majesty, I thought that on this auspicious occasion it would be appropriate to report that the general health of the nation, and indeed, sire, if I may make so bold, that of your royal self, has shown much improvement, thanks to the opportunities for exercise which both the marvellous moat marina and the winter wonderland are now providing. And again it must be said that our thanks are due to Mr... Uh, 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 to this... Exceptional creature. He bowed and drew back as the cheers thundered out yet again. The king held up his hand for silence. Pray step forward, Tibbles, he commanded. The embarrassed dragon shuffled his large body forward a little. The king leaned towards him, and Tibbles wasn't at all sure what was going to happen. My good and noble fellow, said the king, I'm going to give you a pop. Tibbles started back, half expecting a sharp blow on his snout. No, no, laughed the king. You misunderstand me. I am awarding you a medal. A protector of the people medal. A pop for short. Now the cheers from the crowds were unbelievably loud as the king placed a large gold medallion round the smirking dragon's neck. Ginty. Yes, old chap. That was all rather more than I was expecting. C uh, can I go back to my dungeon now? No, said Ginty firmly. You are to christen the swimming pool. In you go. And he gave the nervous beast an almighty shove. With a tremendous splash, the dragon fell into the water and bubbles rose to the surface like champagne. Ginty suddenly had an awful thought. Can dragons swim? Well, I'm happy to report that they can. Eventually, Tibble's nose reappeared above the water. With a huge snort of warm air, the dragon flopped over and paddled up and down quite contentedly for half an hour, watched by admiring crowds. The people began throwing him buns and sweets, which he caught with spectacular leaps, his golden medal glinting in the light with each jump. Not a single bystander went home dry that day, so splashy were the splashes. There's something I ought to explain here. It was a little out of the ordinary that the princess had been the one to thank the dragon and not the king. It came about because it was she of all the palace folk, apart from Ginty, of course, who had made a real friendship with Tibbles. She was fascinated by the beast, 
and talked with him for hours, asking endless questions about the life he had known before he fell into the big sleep. She also made notes in a book of what the dragon had told her about how the dragons had lived, their diet, their families, their traditions, their legends, well, everything really. This book grew so big and full that the princess decided to call it The Dragon Document and it was placed on the shelves of the palace library to be added to from time to time. She wasn't to know that way, way ahead in the future, long after both she and Tibbles were gone, the dragon document would become world famous for all the information it contained about these wonderful creatures. The day the moat was opened, everyone had huge fun. They talked long into the night about the amazing changes the once-feared dragon had brought to their town. Tibbles had such a good time that he made an arrangement with the minder of the moat. He was to be allowed an hour's swimming every day. Very good idea, said Ginty when he heard of the plan. Whilst all the rest of us are getting fighting fit, I notice you are getting a bit tubby, old chap, and it must be quite a squeeze to fit into the dungeon now, so take more exercise. And eat less cornflakes, perhaps, suggested the happy beast. Oh, yes, definitely less cornflakes, otherwise you might sink. And the two friends laughed and laughed and laughed. Well, whatever was going to happen next? Aha! You'll have to wait and see. Chapter 8 You Win Some, You Lose Some Tibbles didn't notice at first. I mean, didn't notice that Ginty would occasionally miss his daily visit, sometimes for two and three days at a time. This was because the dragon was very busy with a new occupation. I'd better explain. You remember that I told you how Princess Delicia was so very interested in all that Tibbles told her about dragons and their ways, and how she would write down what he said in a little notebook? Well, one day Tibbles asked her very politely why she was scratching away with that little stick in the little box-shaped thing with flappy bits. Delicia didn't understand. Little stick? Flappy things? Whatever do you mean, dear Tibbles? Oh, I see. This box-shaped thing is what we call a notebook with pages. She fluttered the pages through her fingers. And this isn't a stick, it's a pencil. She came further down the dungeon steps to show the curious beast what she was using. Notebook. Pencil, he repeated carefully trying to add those words to his ever-growing vocabulary. But uh, what exactly are you doing with the notebook and pencil? With each P, a little puff of his wonderful hot breath escaped into the dungeon. Delicia lost sight of him for a few moments in the smoke. I'm writing. I'm writing down what you tell me so that other people may read about dragons, thanks to all the information you've given me, Tibbles. Uh, uh, sorry, Your Royal Highness, but 
I haven't understood either what writing or read mean. Oh, dear. I feel so very stupid today. Tibbles drooped down his great head and heaved another sigh, so there was even more hot breath in the air. Delicia looked at him for a few minutes, and then she suddenly clapped her hands, laughed merrily, and said, I know what we'll do. I will teach you to read and write, if you like. You do so many clever things that I can't do, that it would make me very happy to help you to do something I can do. How about it? Work began more or less straight away. Delicia asked the royal carpenter to fashion a huge pencil, which she tried very hard to fix between two claws on the dragon's front right foot. She laid a huge sheet of paper on one of the dungeon steps close to the dragon's head. But the pencil simply would not stay between his claws. It kept slipping out. Tibbles then tried with it in his mouth, but there were far too many sharp teeth in the way, and the pencil splintered into his tongue. The princess saw how disappointed the animal was. Don't be sad, my dear. Let's start on reading instead, she suggested. And this is what they did. Reading was altogether a different matter. Tibbles was surprisingly quick to learn, and soon Delicia was having to bring him two or three books from the Royal Library every day. Between them, they worked out a way for the dragon to turn pages by using the remains of the fractured pencil. You've heard the term bookworm, I expect. Well, now we have another rather like it, book dragon. So, because Tipples seemed to have his mighty nose in a book most of the time, when he wasn't huffing heat into the palace or going for his daily swim, it was some time before he realised that Ginty wasn't as frequent a visitor as the princess had become. He suddenly realised that he was missing the young man who was a real friend to him now, or so Tibbles thought. Have I perhaps done something to upset him, he wondered. No, I'm sure I haven't. His question was answered in a very unexpected way. One morning, just as Tibbles had finished reading an extremely interesting book on the life of King Griffith, father of the present King of Woolian, the door at the top of the dungeon steps burst open and there stood Ginty glowing pink with excitement. Tibbles, my dear old chap, I have some wonderful news for you. Sorry I haven't been coming to see you so often recently, but I've been very busy seeing someone else who is going to be very special to me and I'm sure to you. I want you to meet her. Here she is. He reached out his hand to draw someone else onto the top step. Whoever it was wouldn't come forward just at first. Ginty gave a little tug, smiling all the while, and with a jerk and a little giggle, there appeared a very lovely young lady. Ginty put his arm gently round the girl's shoulder, and together the two came down the steps till they were standing just beside the amazed dragon. Bettina... I'd like you to meet my very dear friend Tibbles. Tibbles, this is Bettina. We're going to be married. 
We've been very busy getting to know one another, visiting families, finding somewhere to live after we are wed, and making ever so many plans for the future. I love her very much, and have been quite unable to tear myself away from her, even to come and see you. So, here we are. Aren't I a lucky man? Tibbles thought Bettina was the most beautiful girl he'd ever seen, except, of course, for Princess Delicia. He could see how frantic with joy the young man was. He spoke, being careful not to huff hotly. Very pleased to meet you, miss. I congratulate you both, and I'm sure you'll be very happy together. The young lady, who had been a wee bit nervous of being so close to this huge and very famous creature, plucked up her courage and stepped forward. She curtsied very elegantly, then leaned forward and carefully placed a sweet, gentle kiss on the dragon's little ear, which happened to be quite close to the step where she stood. Tibbles blushed with pleasure. It's odd, isn't it, that dragon's ears are the only bit of them that is small? Jinty laughed excitedly. Ha! I can see you two are going to get on famously. Hurrah! and the young couple ran back up the dungeon steps, waved goodbye and disappeared. Tibbles began some deep thinking. Now, dragons know all about courtship and marriage, something all young dragons did. Our central heating expert also realised, with some sadness, two important things. One, he could not, in the future expect to spend as much time with Jinty now that he was to marry. 2. He was keenly aware that he himself had little prospect of being able to find even a dragon friend, never mind a dragon wife. Had he not searched thoroughly in the days before he ever met Jinty for other dragons who might have woken from a sleep as he had done? And had there been a single solitary sign of one? let alone a beautiful young lady dragon, ready and willing to marry. No, there had not. So, though the lonely dragon was happy for Jinty, and though he knew that Bettina would be a delightful wife, he could not help fearing for his own lonely future. To offset his gloom, he read even more books, and swam even harder in the moat, and never missed his heating sessions but he was glum and preoccupied. What would the future hold for him? Have you got any suggestions, I wonder? It became even worse. Well, in a sort of way. Book dragons tend not to notice much of what is happening right under their noses, except on the printed page, that is. So when Prince Horace and Princess Delicia arrived one morning at the top of the dungeon steps, each bearing a bundle wrapped in a shawl, that was the first Tibbles knew about the royal happy event. No, I don't know why Delicia hadn't told him earlier. Maybe she had mentioned it, but the dragon was too preoccupied with his reading and with feeling sorry for himself. I, I really can't explain... Delicia came down a few steps, unwrapping her bundle, and showed Tibbles a small pink baby with lots of black hair. Kindly hold your breath, Tibbles, dear. 
while I introduce you to my son, Prince Edgar. And here, said Prince Horace, coming alongside her with his bundle, is Princess Adela, he whispered very proudly. Tibbles looked. He saw a small pink baby with lots of black hair. He looked from one bundle to the other. But it's the same baby, he said, very puzzled. Yes, in a way, dear old fellow, laughed the prince. They're twins, you see. Aren't we lucky? And aren't they beautiful? Guess what happened next? You never will, so I'll tell you. Tibbles began to cry. The royal couple had to beat a hasty retreat up the dungeon steps to avoid the gusts of hot breath and the huge salty tears. Oh, hossy, darling, said the princess. Sorry, but that really was her pet name for her husband. Can you believe it? How touching to see this wonderful creature moved to tears by our good fortune. We'd better leave him for a while to compose himself. Goodbye for now, dear Tibbles. And away the larger royal family went. Well, I expect you have your suspicions. Quite right. Tibbles was really boo-hooing for himself, completely overwhelmed by his feelings of loneliness. He had nothing exciting to look forward to. Not like Ginty and Bettina, not like the prince and princess with their babies. He felt really confused, happy for his friends, but at the same time very, very sad for himself. What was he to do? With whom could he share his worries? Things looked bleak. He began to eat more cornflakes again, just for comfort, and he became as round as a very large barrel. Soon there was hardly room for him to move around in the dungeons. When he swam in the moat, which he did less and less, he spilled out more and more water till the moat was nearly empty. You do remember, don't you, how the amount of water displaced is equal to the weight of what is dumped in it? No. Then you should have listened more closely to your science lessons. Shame on you. The minder of the moat spoke to Sir Ginty about the problem. Ginty spoke to Tibbles. Tibbles poured out his troubles. Ginty felt very guilty that he hadn't spotted the crisis earlier. He gave the matter deep thought. In the short term, it was important that Tibbles should get out more and lose some weight. And next, Ginty felt that he himself must do something about finding a dragon wife, despite the fact that Tibbles had had no luck through his own searches. However, time slipped by for many a month, and then for a few years. Everything went on as before except that the people of Woolian were now living lives quite wonderfully different from what they had been before the arrival of their most generous dragon saviour. Tibbles really loved playing with the children in the warm moat. They called him Pop Tibbles. But nevertheless, he grew more and more lonely, and, which was worse, he began to cool down. Too many cornflakes are not good fuel for a dragon's breath, you see. Nor, come to think of it, is loneliness.